Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who came, saw, and saw it again. Until they ran out of wood. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right. What's up, everybody? It's show number 566, and on today's show, we're doing another Oops! All Questions episode. Uh, we're going to talk about some new tools, uh, the longevity of oops? glue joints, uses Isn't for CNC. Isn't show based on answering questions? Shh. And uh, domestic hardwood alternatives. But before we get to that, we want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler's been helping customers create with confidence for over 65 years. Rockler's giving away a $250 gift card to one lucky Wood Talk listener. Too fitty, baby! Enter for your chance to win before January 31st at rockler.com slash woodtalk. And if you want another URL you can go to, you can go to patreon.com slash woodtalk. (laughs) (laughs) And sign up to become a patron of the show. I thought it was a pretty nice little... Little tie in there. Like, that's like the <laughs> same mm-hmm. kind of structure. It's pretty sweet. Sure. This time we're thanking Andy Wisnowski, Canyon Washburn, and Matthew DeJong. Very nice. Thanks everybody Thank for supporting us. We we, we love we that. Appreciate you. Hey, I'm gonna start I'm gonna start today's show off with something a little surprise for you guys. I got a stack of Christmas dad jokes for my kids, <laughs> and this has been a nonstop supply of entertainment for me and my family. <laughs> And I'm going to share it with you guys, so see if you can get this one. Will Santa launch an online alternative to his usual delivery service? That's the question. I don't know. I'll, uh, He's toying with the idea. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh, oh boy. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It's great. I got more of these. I'll save no, some don't. for the rest of the show. Nope. Ready? <laughs> if he would, he'd slay it. Oh, didn't. Very nice. All right. Well, uh, quick announcement. Mentioned it last time. I'm going to mention it again this time. I'm doing a a book signing and a meet and greet at my local St. Louis Woodcraft. And I think it's February 3rd, 9 a.m. Come see me. Come see Nicole. We'll both be there. Uh, Even if you don't want to buy a book, just come say hi. Come hang out. We'll be there. It'll be a lot of fun. I'll have limited edition, simple varnish finish DVDs. Yes. To give away. I'm not going to tell you. All right, I'll tell you. I threw some of those away. <laughs> like I That's what so I'm many... saying. you got to be able to give them away. My mom hung coasters. on to them way too long. It got to a point where the writing was on the wall about DVDs, and I was like, Mom, just start giving them away. If someone orders a T-shirt, throw a DVD in there. I don't want the inventory anymore. 
and she's very possessive with my money <laughs> and my stuff. <laughs> so she refused to do it. And then when uh, we moved into the firehouse, I found like two boxes of old DVDs. And I'm like, Mom, these should have been gone by now. So, yeah, I actually did have to throw some away. Sorry. Now you can have a fire sale. Freaking useless. I mean, what are you going to do with them? And they're also authored using Apple products back then, which oh. made them kind of not totally yeah. stable on all DVD players. Yep. So, like, even if I gave it to someone who happened to still have a DVD player, they'd probably write me and be like, well, I, I can't get it to work. You know, <laughs> so it's, it's too much trouble. <laughs> well, it was free. Fine, mine. <laughs> yeah, Just it was fun. free. Suck it up. Okay. I have, well, I have mine somewhere on the bookshelf over there. Yeah, I, I, I think it. it's on the barn somewhere with all my books and stuff, woodworking stuff. It's, mm-hmm. it's holding up a corner of a table. keeps it from rocking. <laughs> right. All right. Well, uh, I think it's time for another joke. Uh, what do you call an Eskimo's cow? Uh, Ice cream? Wow. An Eskimo. Uh, oh, wow. All right. With that, that was let's get into our episode. Eskimo. <laughs> So this is a dining table episode, but we're not going to hash out a topic. We're just going to answer questions. We'd like to clean out that inbox when we can. Uh, first one here is for our frequent emailer, Alex Adams. He says, uh, not particularly new since it came out a few months ago. Wait, didn't I get this out of here? Never mind. <laughs> we're not doing that one. Uh, let's go to the next one he had. This is also Alex Adams. It's, it's the Alex Adams hour. He says, I came across a universal drill attachment called the bullseye bore that uses lasers to make sure you are drilling a straight hole. As I'm writing this, they haven't launched their Kickstarter campaign with pricing, but they do have a website with demo videos. Personally, I would just use a drill bushing for straight holes that can't be drilled using a drill press. But would you ever want to use lasers to drill straight holes? This thing is at uh, Bullseye Bore, exactly how you expect it to be spelled, bullseyebore.com. And it looks like just this little hooch that goes onto your drill and it spins while the drill is spinning. It looks like it casts like what three or four little concentric circles and you could tell when you're not true because they they kind of reorient themselves into spacing changes i don't know that's kind of cool i don't i I mean i don't know how often i have to do this i do work in a shop that has a drill press and other ways to accomplish that but i think if you're you know getting picky about your precision or maybe i don't know you're working on a job site and you got a new guy who just has bad vision (laughs) You throw that thing on his drill as like a punishment, <laughs> like so you could watch what he's doing. I don't know. What do you, you think? You guys would want something like this? I think there's specific use cases where this would be kind of handy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you didn't want to use any of the other many methods to drill your bench dog holes in your workbench, this could be somewhat useful to get that going. Yeah, there you go. I, I will tell you this: the examples they have on their website, I'm like, these don't really. This is all construction stuff, and clearly, the, like the level of precision isn't really needed for these things they're doing. The whole, these demos, especially the one that. in drywall. Yeah, I'm like, he's drawing a hole through <laughs> drywall, and it's got to be perfectly square. I'm like, why? What the hell are you doing that that needs that level of precision? Well, Listen, like, maybe when you like, put that drywall anchor through there. If that thing isn't dead perpendicular to the surface, <laughs> it just ain't gonna work. Dead nuts perpendicular. Maybe for chair make, like Windsor chair makers, if they happen to have any square angles, because a lot of those are drilled freehand. No, <laughs> I don't was, think there are any. They're shaking. I thought shaking of that too. Head. Like there might be a use for lasers in that, but it's not for this because you're I know they use lasers to get all the weird angles lined up and everything. But I wasn't sure if there's some yeah. weird random joint that happens to be square but the one joint in retrospect now here's the here's the question i'm not i actually just clicked off of the site does it work if you drill horizontally yeah it must if this is going to drywall it says angled horizontal and vertical yep okay but it's well angled 
how does that work? Okay. Like, they're so saying you're still angled. creating 90 degrees. It's, you're always need perpendicular to the face you're drilling at all times. All they did was right. move. The board is at an angle, but the drill still right. needs to be perpendicular to the board. Yeah. Well, look, I think if you see this product and you go, oh, yes, you, you know. Yeah, it. right. I don't think I would buy this just because I don't look at that and go, oh, that solves a problem that I have. But hey, innovation and, and uh, new ideas. And hopefully it's inexpensive enough that everybody can get one if they need one. Nothing wrong with new products. There and, we go. Uh, we'll, we'll look out for the uh, for the the Kickstarter on that one. I think it would depend on how much it actually costs in the end. Yeah, if it's, it's like a fairly inexpensive product, yeah, it'd be nice to have just to have have around in case you're yeah, doing something. Like Twenty dollar accessory or something. Yeah, I think they would sell pretty well, but I don't know mm-hmm. what the price point's going to be yet. We shall see. Inquiring minds want to know. All right, Matt, you got the next one. I'm busy looking at bullseye boar stuff. Don't look. You can't buy it yet. Don't waste your time. I was going to check out the Kickstarter. Anyway, uh, this is from Chris. Common domestic hardwood alternatives. Chris says, I'm getting bored with the same few species of domestic hardwood on every project. Oak, cherry, maple, and walnut are the most available in my area, northeast Ohio, and they are all great. But I'd like to expand my horizons a bit and start working with a few other North American hardwoods. My local lumber suppliers don't have much beyond the aforementioned species. And what they do have in the realm of uncommon woods seems to be priced quite high with limited selection. I don't have any specific projects in mind at the moment. I'm just looking for a general purpose jack-of-all-trades but cheaper than oak and prettier than hard maple wood. I don't know if you're going to find that. I'm not looking for anything super exotic, expensive, or difficult to find. In essence, I'm tired of driving a boring four-door sedan and can't afford Mercedes, so I'm looking for the mid-level pickup truck of woods. Okay. Hmm. All right. Interesting metaphor. Okay. So anyway, do you have have any suggestions for other species or have any suggestions for other reasonably priced general purpose woods to take a look at? I know Shannon does. So maybe let Mark or Matt answer first. (laughs) 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 All right. Shut up, Shannon. You just go ahead. (laughs) Sit there. The guy who works in the lumber industry probably has something to say, but I don't want to hear from him. You sit there and look pretty. All right. Uh, you know, I'm noticing a trend though, guys, in, in all, like a lot of our emails that we got, there are instructions for how we should answer it. (laughs) Who should answer it? A lot of people will do this. You know, I think this question would be best for so-and-so and and then they ask it, or can, can so-and-so answer this first and then the other two can go. (laughs) It's hilarious. You guys are funny. Okay. I will. I will just look pretty. <laughs> well, you don't have to work hard at that. I mean, it's no, pretty much automatic. It's very easy. So, one of the paragraph that you you had to skip there, Matt. He does mention some of the ones that he's looked at, and if he can't find them locally, he's going to like CR Muterspall, mm-hmm. Bell Forest, both great resources um, for this stuff. But he mentions alder, sassafras, hickory, white ash, and butternut. Um, one of the challenges I think he's going to have here, though, is if you can't find it easily locally and you're going to have to constantly mail order this stuff, I mean, other than to satisfy your curiosity, is that really what you want to do? You know, sometimes just like the local domestic stuff you have access to that you get the best deals on is the way to go because that's what's available. So I don't know, just in in terms of thinking about that, like I I wouldn't mind working with some of those things too, but if I can't find it easily, I just kind of lose interest in it. I don't want to have to mail order everything. But aside from that, um, since Shannon can't talk, um, Matt? Yes. You do a lot of local stuff. Like there's a lot of things local. you don't work with because it didn't fall down in your in your city. So that is correct. 
<laughs> is there anything you think you might be missing out on? I mean, you definitely have more than just those species in Northeast Ohio. Like, there's a lot more there than just oak and walnut and cherry and whatever else he said. Here's, here's a question for Shannon. I'm going to throw this to Shannon real quick before I actually answer the question. Is that, that allowed? Go bother Shannon about I don't think this. That's allowed. Email in Chris the, and ask him if we can. <laughs> I don't throw know. This I'm, to Shannon. But I'm allowed to do whatever I want. So oh, okay, that's true. That's an unwritten rule, I think. <laughs> yeah. Matt, Matt's <laughs> at that generation mark where he can do whatever. Everything he says is special. <laughs> okay, gotcha. So in the lumber industry, where do most lumber places draw the line of actually differentiating species over collaborative collective species like white oak? Obviously, mm. that's many different species of white oak. We all kind of know that one's yeah. a little bit more common. Like this is a categorical thing, not necessarily like an actual species. Although you can actually buy actual white oak. Like mm-hmm. white ash. What species of ash is typically collected in, I bought ash today. Is that all yeah, species of ash, ash normally? It's, like around here, we have ash. pretty yeah. much all just green ash. I've never used white mm-hmm. ash, but I have used black ash, which is typically sold as its own thing because it's got a different working property than green ash. So I think that's maybe like the first level of like, there is a little bit of like nomenclature thing you got to like think about. As you're buying unique species of wood that maybe you are already, they're just lumped into other categories of wood. Yeah. Yeah. I think in <laughs> yeah. for the most part, there are <laughs> there's probably more what I would refer to as conglomerate species. That's a good word than for it. not. Yes. And especially in exotics. Like the African mahogany thing is ridiculous. There's like mm-hmm. 90 different species. Ash is all ash. And it's not. Fraxinus americana, white ash, is definitely not the same as black ash. But I think what happens is it, these places, they're bringing it in in bulk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And those are coming from large aggregate yards who are developing truckload quantities of material. And they're just not sorting for this stuff. But then while black ash has a different working property... There's more white ash than there is black ash. And white ash is going to give you a little bit more predictability on grading as well as drying and all that fun stuff. So the bulk of it is going to be similar to that. Same thing with the oaks. There are a lot of white oaks, but there are some white oaks that are particularly gnarly and don't quite work the same or look the same. And those get basically not cut in the first place. Yeah, yeah, there's... at least So here, when I cut white oak, it's almost always bur oak. It's Mm -hmm. not actual like whatever yeah. the actual species of white oak is, but it's ca- it's classified in the like, general conglomerate of white oak. Mm-hmm. Very common. I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, yeah, well, it, I don't either. And, and a lot of it just depends on whom to, who are you buying from? Do they have a sawmill? Are they sawing their own wood? If so, then there's a greater chance that you might be getting bur oak or, you know, mm-hmm. um, some other species of, you know, within the Quercus genus. But, if they don't have a sawmill and they're buying from another sawmill, they're, they're probably getting vanilla, you know, white oak, Quercus alba, you know, that's it. Mm. I, so I guess the, what I'm trying to get to with this is that most people don't realize that that is actually happening. Like there's a, this conglomeration of species that yeah. fall into what the actual like scientific species versus the lumber species or like could be two mm-hmm. separately different things. Sure. In a lot of yeah. cases. Yeah. Well, it's it's like um, I, I recently did a most recent podcast on the lumber update was about pine. And I made the point to talk about SPF, spruce pine fir, construction lumber is most definitely not pine. People generically call, I'm going to go to Home Depot and buy some pine, two by fours. And the irony is, is that 90% of it is not pine. It's spruce and fir. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they don't even bother to differentiate. It's just SPF. The product is SPF. 
and it's like seven different species um, <laughs> across the country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very much the way things go. But I think the other point here, Matt, is you could continue. He's bored with oak, cherry, maple, and walnut. Well, Maybe you don't have to go that far afield, like maple alone. Plain old maple can be quite boring. Well, maybe look into buying some of the brown maple or buy some big leaf maple sure. or buy some soft maple or there's a bunch of different cherries. Although from a lumber perspective, black cherry is kind of where it's at. But oh my God, oak, there's so much in oak. I mean, he's not even saying red or white. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, I'm talking. I'm not supposed to. <laughs> you shut up over there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we got to look more top level than this. Like I don't think he is looking for for that kind of info necessarily. He's like, what have I not discovered yet? Are there well, other just, domestics? I that because maybe he discovered it and notice or didn't know. Yeah, that, yeah, that's something he could discover within those categories he's mentioned. Yeah, or you're gonna like have you similar. You have similar working properties because it's still kind of like in that same kind of category, but you sure. have different grains and different colors because they're actually different species. Yeah. Well, and yeah. for me, I'm not really good to speak to this because 99% of what I build is it's going to be cherry or walnut. And most of the time, maybe some maple. Uh, pretty boring with my wood selection these days. Hmm, okay. Well, I, mean, I don't I think, think we really helped him very much, but um, go, Shannon, go find Go find a local mill. Shannon. Yeah. Um, find because what Mark said at the first part is the is is most important. You can I could tell you like first thing I would say is elm, American elm, love it. It's totally different than anything else. It's kind of coarse grain like oak, but it looks different. It's so outside the usual suspects of what we're used to seeing. And I think elm should get more play. But can you get it? If you can't get yeah. it, then what good does that recommendation do? You, well, if you got a mail you need order, to you go. Just let me know. I got elm. I can send you some elm. <laughs> there you go. Mean. See, I got a barn right now, ready to go. American Elm. Well, and it. I think that's the thing. Dealers generally are selling the stuff that sells, and yeah. they're like that's the only time I ever tend to encounter a local species or something where I'm like, oh, I've never worked with sassafras before, because someone mm -hmm. stopped by and they're like, hey, check this out. I've got this board. Do you want it? And then, <laughs> and I find out what it is. Right? Like, um, I think Shannon, I may have asked you or, or both of you. When I found a board out in the woods behind the shop and I brought it in, planed it down, I was trying to identify what it was. And it was an old like sugar shack or something that was just in the woods. And we just pulled this board out of there and I couldn't, I had no idea what it was. And one of you guys identified it for me, or maybe it was the guild group. I don't know, but I couldn't tell what it was. And it was something that was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And it was decent, hard, good quality, dense wood. But it's definitely not something that I would have easily been able to go locally and say, hey, can I get a uh, hundred board feet of that particular thing? Because yeah. there's just this oddball piece, you know? So Yeah, because it's, it's not so much about it's difficult to get. It Can you get it consistently? From, yeah. a, from a retailer perspective, you may get a log of sweet gum. There's another one. Great species. Mm -hmm. Super, super straight trunk. Long, long boards. Great straight grain. But if, you, if your business is based around like building repeat customers and things like that, and every time they show up, you have different inventory, that yeah. may sound great for like the average garage woodworker. But for like the guys who are doing this for a living, they want to count on the fact that I got good cherry from this guy. You know, I can't necessarily... Every piece of furniture I'm going to build is going to be a different species of wood. A, I may not know how that works and it may take mm -hmm. some time to understand the inner workings of it. But yeah, like I can't build a business around unique product offerings. Yeah. So this is, and this is where I think 
sorry, I'm talking again, but the, here's the differentiation that oh, I've been trying to get to on the Lumber Update podcast is this grassroots effort, the wood miser owners, the Matt Cremonas of the world that are sawing what happens to fall. This is fantastic. We need more of this. And it is in no way a threat to the lumber industry because they're totally different markets. The lumber industry does not want to deal with sassafras. We don't want to deal with the sweet gums and things like that. We want, you know, local wood misers and Lucas mill owners. So what I would say to Chris is go search those people out. Um, they're out there. Believe me, they're out there's there. A, there's um, a lot of them in that area. Yeah. And there's all of, of the suppliers, the wood miser manufacturers, the Lucas mill manufacturers, the Logosol, they all have directories or call them up and say, here's where I live point me in that direction. They want their sawmill owners to get business. And if Woodmiser can throw business to a Woodmiser owner, oh, it's great. So mm-hmm. go seek those out and you'll be surprised what you'll find. Um, there's a lot out there. Um, yeah. Buckeye. There's a fun one. Oh, yeah. He's in Ohio. It's the Buckeye State. Come yeah, on. There you go. Very nice. Siri, Polonia. I could go on. I'm a, right. But I'm I not just, supposed to. I have to, because uh, I was supposed to speak for you, Shannon. I'll definitely plug Sorry. your... Um, I forget when the first time I like heard you talk with this concept. I think it was that was many years ago. You did some kind of like online webcast for Pop Wood that I like bought. And oh, I watched. remember those. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know, like, maybe 2015 or something. I don't know, but the whole yeah. the whole thing was like going through like all the moduluses and going through and like finding things that are comparable yeah. on the mathematical I'd side. I actually taught that. I taught that at Woodworking in America in the room next to you. Well, you were teaching. I was next door teaching that class. On I think I heard using before that. Properties. I heard before that though. Yeah, it was like a oh, webcast because yeah. I, mm-hmm. I did the pop. I, and I didn't know you back then. Thing. I was like, yeah, oh, it's it that the, Shannon the, guy oh, really? that I saw in early Apple days podcasts. of. Yep, enhanced, <laughs> uh, enhanced podcasts and uh-huh. online webinars. Oh, yeah, yes, stuff. Oh, a little webinar thing. Yeah. But I, at the first time I had heard about it from anybody, and it happened to be from you. I'm like, oh, that's really good way to like objectively look at like, is this piece of wood going to work like this other piece of wood that I have more experience with? What's that going to be like? I'm like, so like go to Shannon for this. Cause he actually knows the ins and outs of <laughs> comparing pieces of wood. So if you're used to working with those species of wood, you can go through the wood database and find species that are going to work very similar to them. And you'll kind of feel at home with you're branching out, but you kind of know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. So to speak. Yeah. yeah there yeah. you go. Well, you guys know uh, who else sells wood? Really a good place for Chris to maybe go and see what other varieties might be out there. And they'll build your whole project for you. They might. That's true. (laughs) Bring your cut lists, (laughs) specify which tools you'd like them to use, and uh, hopefully you got an hour or a place to go to lunch while they do it. Which employee you want to use those tools? (laughs) (laughs) Who can actually talk while you're in the room? Yeah, We're talking about our friends over at Rockler. You can like get your concessions while you're watching your guy do your project for you because I got those glass I rooms still think, now, so you can like hey, sit well, in the we bleachers. Had a whole, uh, have your we concessions. had a whole episode that was about like talking about them selling hot dogs, right? Like they really yes, should have should. food at the store. There's no yeah. reason not to. Yeah, the hot dog cart out in front of my Home Depot does great business. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Right? Then imagine if they brought it in there for lunch. Absolutely, I go there for lunch. I do. <laughs> it's good. They're good hot dogs. Hot dog and a soda. Come on. Doesn't get better than that. 
All right, well, let's talk a little bit about Rockler and not hot dogs. Create the perfect cabinet, work table, or shop cart system for your workshop. The Rock Steady Shop Stand Kits from Rockler feature strong, heavy-gauge steel construction and pre-drilled holes for easy assembly and accessorizing. These are the best workshop stands in the business. Mix and match shop stand dimensions to suit your needs. Choose from one of Rockler's complete kits, or you can select individual shop stand components and accessories. Rockler's Rock Steady Shop Stand Configurator. You gotta love these configurators they come up with. They make good configurators. Love it. Uh, They make it easy to design and shop for the perfect custom workshop stand. Head to rockler.com for more info. And uh, of course, we're going to put that link in the show notes for you. But Shannon, you just put one of these together, right? Didn't you mention that? I did. Yeah. Um, I bought the, I configurated it myself. (laughs) Configurated uh, it. Got the, you know, it's basically the the corner supports and I uh, added in a shelf and I added in some pegboard side panels. Um, I did not buy a top. I already had a top for that. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah really cool it's great I, I bought the casters for it and everything you can swap it in you can get rolling casters or little self-leveling pad feet or whatever and yeah put drawers on it all kinds of stuff it's a thing of beauty it's fantastic all right blue pegboard okay this is from nathan um he wants to know about tight bond and its longevity mm. from previous episodes i think i know your opinion on this <laughs> you feel like you so you we don't have like to answer s- it I guess Next not. question. Yeah. All good. <laughs> Styles change and your grandkids perhaps aren't going to want to have your furniture in their houses. But for those of us that want to build pieces that will last millennia, I have a question for you about modern glues and longevity. If you look at antique pieces, the places where most damage occurs is at the joints and essentially the wood glue has failed. Are modern wood glues really that better where in a hundred years or so ago, they'll be just as good when first glued up? Will loose tenon joints like a domino hold for hundreds of years with tight bond or should we go to the extreme and start penning draw boring those dominoes is tight bond or epoxy better for the long haul hmm do you think this is i mean do we have an answer to this have has enough time gone by that we could say for sure like true time tested i mean what's pva 100 years old maybe yeah maybe 100 something Um, i honestly don't know that's a good question how long has pva and for that matter have there been like dramatic changes in the formulation from like year one to now i would imagine there was probably this like curve where it's refinement they they figured something out and they got really really much much better in year five and then it's pretty much been the same for the last 95 years or whatever Um, i still think that failure and all of this stuff comes down to just bad joinery Certainly you find where things break on stress points in antique furniture, like chairs, you know, the crest rail, because people always pick a chair up by the crest rail, move it around, and that's where it gets a lot, or the, the back legs tend to fall apart. And the ones that fall apart are the ones that weren't pinned, because that's that's really where you use a drawboard on the back legs of a chair. But like the cabinets and things, I don't know. I, I still think that good joinery, and honestly, like domino joinery is really good joinery, when you consider you have to hammer that loose tenon in, I can't imagine that's going to fall apart. I'd imagine any glue you put on a domino would last well for hundreds of years. And I think conditions matter, you know, like how the item is stored, you know, most homes being climate controlled and conditioned, and uh, maybe that can help the longevity of these things as well. Oh, definitely. And an interesting aspect of this, when we look at some of the old pieces that, you know, maybe museum pieces or things that are um, antiques, the glues they were using back then were probably what hide glue and animal, uh, you know, yeah. generated materials. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's also interesting about that is when you're choosing glue for your project, you do have to think about 
longevity. So if you're doing something like a chair, a musical instrument, being able to repair those things is a factor too. So when when you're using regular wood glue and you have a break, that sometimes is a catastrophic break or a destructive break in the sense that you need to completely redo something to fix it. Whereas with a hide glue joint or, you know, one of these other animal glues, you can sometimes get away with just adding some moisture, you know, a little bit of heat, and you can get those things apart and do a repair. You know, so yeah. with, with all these pieces of furniture made with a more permanent glue, in a sense, when there's uh, something that happens to it, fixing it is a lot less likely than thereby sort of shortening its life in a way. I don't know, maybe. Agreed. Just kind of noodling a little bit about it because i've been using a lot more liquid hide glue just for the open time i got a nice probably i don't know how long these the the shelf life is on something like type bonds liquid hide glue but i've got a bottle that like you could barely read the label anymore it's been used (laughs) so much but i should say it's been around so long i don't use it that much but i've started using hide glue a lot more i don't want to get into the whole you know uh double boiler or a warming Mm -hmm. pot for you know traditional hide glue but in liquid state i'm like yeah would i rather use this than epoxy yeah <laughs> like it's uh it works great on interior projects um, never had a problem with it so i've been using the heck out of hide glue lately good long open time hmm, but good stuff yeah, well done good Mark. stuff well done i really i i kind of hope that just so that i can laugh at them people start draw boring their dominoes they should <laughs> well i i uh I think I did it once <laughs> doing a breadboard end with dominoes just to show what right. the process would be. And I wouldn't recommend it. It's not great. I I, I think it's the drawboard is the perfect, perfect representation of like woodworking media in whatever form and how like things catch like wildfire, like mm-hmm. Schwarz, like reintroduced the drawboard. Like he, frankly, he introduced all of us to the drawboard. Nobody had heard of it before Chris came along. Obviously it's an ancient technique, and then suddenly everybody was draw boring every damn joint on a project. It's like you're missing the point <laughs> yeah. here, people. Yeah. We don't have to draw bore everything now. Quit yeah. draw boring those joints. It's a static load. You don't need a draw bore in there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now that's and then the funny thing is, is like now I'm draw boring and I'm now I'm worried about glue. Like you don't even need glue when you put a draw bore in. Come on. <laughs> well, going back to what you said initially, Shannon, the um doing some kind of a pinned joint when I would do a lot of refinishing uh, early, early in my out of science and into woodworking career, I would take on whatever work I could get. And a lot of times we get like a, a whole bunch of chairs or something from a restaurant and they would still be held together. But the only mm-hmm. thing holding those joints together was a little pin that was placed yeah. through there, a little wooden pin. And fortunately that was a pretty easy repair to fix that. But that was a big lesson because like some of these other joints are just going to come right apart if you don't have that pin there. And that's one that is not a static load. That's a repeated load in an environment that things just get abused because it's not my chair. I don't care. So I'm leaning back on it all the time. Like yeah. they get mistreated all the time. And the only thing keeping that thing from falling apart was that pin. It's, you know, a decent insurance policy, but definitely not something you want to do in every case. I think it's time for another joke. Uh, what did one snowman say to the other? Nice balls. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, this is a family show. What do you think? That's a good one. I like yours better than, than the actual answer. <laughs> he said, can you smell carrots too? Oh, oh yeah. All right. <laughs> Next question is from Rocco. You know, it's got to be great going around the world with the name Rocco. Seriously. It's a cool name. You get, it's just great. You get more respect when you I think you Rocco. Do. Like, people give you a wide berth. You know, here comes Rocco. I wouldn't mess it's, with Rocco. It's Cousin Vinny. Yeah. 
it's a, definitely a guy you don't want to mess with. All right, well, Rocco says, my school has a full metal shop with CNC, so I'm very familiar with the CNC process and have been teaching Fusion 360 for 12 years. I am considering adding a wood CNC machine, but I'm not sure if it's actually that useful for us and wanted your opinions. From So he came to the, the three guys, none of which own a CNC, to ask this question. Shannon so. like walks by them at work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. I've seen one before. No, I've, I've actually have been, had one. I've been in a room with three of them at the same time. That's that yeah. right. <laughs> okay. Well, from what I can tell, they are most useful for batching out cabinets, making Etsy type products uh, that focus on engraving. I cut templates out of plastic on the Haas CNC, so I don't see it as a use case for that, but it could be. I make laminated zero clearance plates for miter and table saws out of scraps, and I could see it being useful for batching those out and the precision routing operations required. What do you guys think are the best use cases for wood CNC? Do you think we would benefit from one? And what brands would you recommend? I'm leaning towards Laguna, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, look. I don't, I don't know that we're going to give them a brand recommendation. I, I think you need to actually use them and have knowledge in that. To I recommend to that ones that have a plug. If you can plug it in, it's good to go. I like ones that like, one? I like the ones that operate on two axes, you know, one direction and then the other direction too, nice. but not three. Um, not three. You don't want, <laughs> no, I don't want you three. want a Z axis. No, no, Who, that's useless. Who uses that? Um, all right. <laughs> So what he's describing here is kind of how I approach CNC. I looked at CNC as like, that's the robot that can do the things either more accurately than I can do them or that I don't want to do. So we would look right. at things like production, making templates, getting curves. Like that was one fun thing about having a CNC. When I used to have to draw a curve by bending wood, it's like, well, it's almost never like a oh, really never. true never. curve, right? It's just it'll, a pain in the butt. It'll be asymmetrical no matter what you do. Yeah, but if I can get a CNC to make that template, now yes. I know that curve is perfectly symmetrical, dead on, and then I could do my normal flush trimming operation to get the workpiece to that same uh, shape. So I think he's he's thinking in a very limited fashion about this, which is how I think of it. I think once you go beyond that and you start to think about using the CNC for larger scale projects, to use it maybe to generate an entire furniture piece, instead of cutting the curve for a template, you're cutting the curve in the actual workpiece. Because it's the same toolpath. What's the difference, right? As long as it can fit on the table. And I think in a school environment, you might want to think about this because the students could be very well served by understanding what CNC does. Not necessarily because you're going to make the students make templates, but because you're putting, you're giving them a skill set that's going to be incredibly valuable to them moving yeah. forward. I think for that alone, having a CNC in a school environment, especially you're teaching Fusion 360, you got the whole recipe there. Um, mm -hmm. absolutely get the CNC. If you don't know what to do with it yet, you will. <laughs> and the kids will help you figure out what to do with it. I'm, I'm all for it, uh, getting a, a wood CNC there. What do you guys I, think? I agree from a, from a hiring perspective. Like that's at the Millwork House, that's all we look for is that they have experience with the modeling software and they've had some experience with CNC because it's absolutely integral. So like, if for no other reason than giving these kids a, a, a skill or maybe introducing a kid to something that could lead to a career path. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do it. Do it. Yeah. I mean, imagine um, Nicole does a lot of stuff with 3D printing and teaching kids like Tinkercad and stuff like that. But and these are just middle middle school kids. But can you imagine like just having experience and exposure to that at such an early age? So it's not a foreign concept. 
is such a, a game changer and giving them a bit of a head start into what kind of technology they may confront in the workforce later. Super valuable stuff. I think for I am for hoping me, to get another CNC. Matt, oh, you were what? saying something. Sorry. You can keep going. I was going to give my little thing, but you can finish your thing. No, good. give your little thing. Okay. I want to see your little thing. <laughs> knew it. Oh. I knew it. Okay. The minute he said that, I knew it was going to end up there. <laughs> Hold on. Show title. Hold on. What? Matt's, Show me little little Matt's little thing. Okay, great. This is wonderful. I'm glad I'm there here. There we go. Make sure you put a bell with that, um, Todd. Thank ding, you. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. A little uh, dingling. Okay. This is, I this laugh is at my own jokes. So I, I have been... This has been like on like the low priority list is to actually get one and kind of mm-hmm. experiment with it because I think at this point in my life, like I don't know what it can do for me. Like I kind of get the like the doing all the curve stuff. That sounds fantastic. But like beyond that, I'm like, I don't have one here. I don't have any experience with one like actually in my workflow to understand like where this can help me. Sort of as an aside, I'm like, do I want it to? Because yeah. some of the stuff that I can have it do, I'm like, I kind of like doing that. Like if it's I was fun, doing right? a chest of yeah. drawers, hey, that's my job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like in the back of my head, like as an example of something, as I'm thinking, like what can I use it for? I'm like, okay, if I did like a chest of drawers, I can have it cut the whole side panel out and cut all my sliding dovetail sockets into it all at once. And then maybe I just dovetail the whole case together and that's it. And I don't have to worry about like placement of all those dovetail sockets in all of the drawer yeah. blades. Maybe that's like, I kind of like it. I kind of just find it as grunt work too doing that by like manually so maybe having the machine do that but like i don't have one here i haven't been able to like gone go down the road of what i can do with it what my experience with it can be it's not a tool that i have in my arsenal in my mind of like oh i can have the machine do that instead mm-hmm. they don't have one so it's like yeah. issue of not knowing well and you have to be more fluent in it to know what it can and can't do and how to make it do the thing you want it to do within a reasonable amount of time and accurately that's the other thing too it's like i don't really like modeling that much like already yeah. right now and in <laughs> right. order for me to actually make that useful like i actually have to model these things and like i get zero enjoyment out of that like mm-hmm. zero so like yeah. do i really want to do that uh, yeah. i don't well, know i think the end goal has to be kept in mind are you making products to sell in which case the speed and accuracy of a CNC could be very useful. Look at people like, um, I was, my go-to for this is Daryl Peart. He does an amazing job of blending, you know, fine woodworking techniques and then offloading jobs to the CNC. Mm-hmm. And there are things that are so dependent on the CNC now that he has trouble or at least reluctance in designing a course that uses regular woodworking tools to make that thing. Um, because mm. he has a beautiful shape that he created. He has the digital file and he just tells yeah. the machine to do it and then it makes it. And then he then refines it from that point to take it to the finish line. And and he does sell his work, you know, but if you're, if you're in the business of teaching people and sharing your woodworking experiences and you yourself just love the woodworking process, the CNC is just something that is not quite as useful for, for people like that. And I'm in that camp. Like I want my hands on the router. I want to do the work. So I'll I'll use the CNC to make the template instead of just cutting the part on the CNC, which I, I fully admit is stupid most of the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have thought about that too. I'm like, I just, I feel more comfortable not messing up the part if I do it manually than putting it on mm-hmm. the bed of the CNC that doesn't really know where the part is in space. It just knows where I told yeah. it it is supposed to be. And right. then it cuts it out. Well, yep. if I can actually lay the template directly on the piece of wood and get it exactly where I want it to be, and I know it's going to cut exactly there every single time, 
I only have right. one piece of that wood because it's part of a whole set that came out of one log or one slab yeah, or whatever. Precious. I can't risk screwing up this part because this is unique. <sighs> I <laughs> right. feel like I'd be a little hesitant to have the machine actually cut the part. I imagine there must be... See, and this is an area where you don't like that level of like grain composition, especially Matt, that I know that you like because you're working with that entire slab. Mm -hmm. I don't ever really see that at a, at a commercial level an industrial level. There must be a function within a CNC to be able to like map the board and choose where the part goes in that board. I'm sure that must be there um, just by setting your start point. Um, But then you have to lay a a Cartesian grid. Told it was supposed to be. And, right, you know, or your clamps don't slip, or I mean, imagine you if, if you've got a camera and you can lay the camera is showing the board and you oh. can lay the grid over top of it, and no. that must be there. I'm, the I'm tech sure must be I'm there, sure but I just I'm never sure seen anybody doing because it. they have the part cutting machines that you put a board mm-hmm. in and it'll clear cut sections out of it. So I'm sure there's some kind of optical scanning thing. What well, lasers do that, do that as well? Like we we've got a Glowforge that does that, where you're viewing it on a camera. It's not very accurate, okay. <laughs> but it it yeah. does work. But yeah. now I think for your it's average a, like CNC that I would be able to get, you kind of need to know where it's going. And if you're really trying to be careful about that, that grain that you're talking about and you want to curve to go just in the right spot, mm-hmm. yes, it can be done. But that's a little bit tricky and there's planning and there's 10 things that could go wrong to screw it up. Yeah. And that you don't have any more of that board. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I would, I would think though, in this particular use case, like I would imagine if you're already teaching the modeling software, but yet mm-hmm. not able to take it to, to fruition, I feel like if I were a student, I'd be like, I'd feel kind of ripped off. Like, what about like, okay, we made this model, but like, what do we do with it? And I certainly, there are people out there, you know, heck who grew up with Minecraft and all they're used to doing is building digitally. Um, mm-hmm. But I would think that would be a real light bulb moment to be able to turn the corner and turn digital into physical. I think it's, you're missing. I mean, it sounds like they're missing. A, it's, it's, a, it's a metal shop and they've got a, yeah, with the metal. Uh, yeah. Uh, CNC right, right. Yeah. So they kind of do that. Just bring it up to speed, bring the they're wood up like to speed with the metal shop. Instead of using a CNC mill, I'm assuming it's a, it's a mill, not a, a lathe or something to be able to yeah. do wood, wood stuff instead of just what can be done on the, yeah. on the bed of an actual uh, milling machine. And I think we can get into the weeds just in terms of like people like us using CNC. I think in his situation, this is cut and dry. Like if the funding is there and a school's willing to make the purchase, get the CNC. It's it's yeah, because if you don't spend it, they're not going to give it to you next semester. (laughs) Right? Yeah, you know how budgets work. (laughs) Great. Parents give you money. Open a lemonade stand. (laughs) Right, and if they, you know what, if they don't want to spend the money, you'd be like, hey, you know my name, right? Rocco. Rocco. You know what that means. That means you better spend the money. Bad things are going to happen. Pay up. (laughs) Oh, man. Good stuff. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, Family owned since 1954. Rockler is your go-to source for high quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use the code WOODTALK, that's all one word, to receive free shipping on most orders over $49. And remember to head to rockler.com slash woodtalk to enter for your chance to win a $250 gift card. Hooray! Go Rockler! It's been an interesting show. We've been kind of all over the board. All um, of them. That's because all you, all y'all out there listening to this, can send in these weird questions. They don't relate to one another. They're weird. Generally, questions. we're not qualified to answer them. So please mm-hmm. keep doing that. We love, love to that. talk. 
Oh, yeah. Talk out our asses. It's good. It's I good like stuff. speculating. It's fun. So, yeah. <laughs> so go to woodtalkshow.com, fill out the form, or just send us an email at woodtalkshow at gmail.com. Or if you want, stalk us on Instagram. We're there too. Wood Talk Show. Hooray for us. All right. Hooray. Good stuff. Uh, who is Santa's favorite singer? Mrs. Hmm. Claus. Nope. <laughs> you know she can't sing. You stop it. Yeah, but he it's her it's his favorite. I mean, she's That's gotta true. be his favorite. Could Always sentimental spouse, thing. no matter what. Uh it's Elphis Presley. Dang it. Elphis I was, I was, Presley. I was trying to come up with something with Sinatra. Um yeah. Elphis Presley. Yeah. I did that joke with my kids. They didn't get it. So they didn't that. Yeah. Who? <laughs> Not a whole lot of Elvis uh, Presley things happening um, in the uh, 12 and under set on YouTube for some <laughs> reason. So I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.